You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Let's go on to verse 9 now. It says, Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. It says in the middle of verse 9, And David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. So now this is the third time that Saul is trying to pin him to the wall with the spear. Right? How's that saying go? Trick me once, shame on you. Trick me twice, shame on me. Something like that, <laughs> you know? And so David, I think, is getting a clue here. Okay, this is not getting better. And you thought you had problems at work. <laughs> Verse 11. So Saul now takes it a step further. It says, Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped, and Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. So she lies in order to save her husband from being killed. Is that okay for her to do that? I don't know. There's this philosopher and theologian, Immanuel Kant, but he can, but he can't. Immanuel Kant, probably pronounced Kant or something like that, but he argues that it is never, ever under any circumstances okay to lie. This was like 1800s, I think. You can check me on that. Well, then World War II came along and, uh, you know, the Holocaust and Nazis banging on doors looking for Jews and throwing them in concentration camps and killing them and gassing them to death and all that terrible stuff. And so a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer comes along and says, well, there actually is times where it's okay to lie to save the innocent. And he was actually involved in a plot to kill Adolf Hitler. And he did a whole bunch of lying and plotting and deceiving as, as part of that group. And of course, they failed. And he ended up getting executed for being a part of that plot just before the war ended and everybody was liberated. So it's sad uh, for him. So anyway, there are instances in the Bible where people have lied. We think of Rahab, remember Rahab? Uh, the harlot at Jericho and the spies came and she hid them on her roof and then lied and said, they're not here, they've gone already, quick go, you might be able to get to them. And she saved their lives and the Bible applauded her for her heart towards them. It doesn't specifically applaud her for lying. 
So all that to say, be led by the Holy Spirit in your circumstances <laughs> and do what God is telling you to do in situations like that. But let's not justify lying for just any old reason. If you need to save someone's life and it comes down to a lie, well, that's between you and the Lord. How's that? Let's move on. Verse 15. <laughs> Sometimes you can talk yourself into a corner. Verse 15, then Saul sent the messengers back to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. Man, he's he hates David so much now that he wants to kill him with his own hands. And so as he's thinking that David's sick, he's thinking, I'll send the messengers. They can carry him on his sick bed to me and I will kill him. Verse 16, and when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michal answered, Saul, he said to me, let me go, why should I kill you? So Saul gets mad at his daughter and says, why have you deceived me like this to save your husband? How could you dare do that? And then, and then she lies and says, he threatened my life, and that's why I did it. So she kind of throws him under the bus to save her own skin. And poor David now has this terrible persecution against him from Saul, who he's, not only has he done nothing wrong to Saul, but he has great respect and admiration for Saul. And it's a sad thing. Psalms 38, 19 to 20 says, and this is David writing, he says, my enemies are vigorous. We just studied this Wednesday night. And they are strong. And those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those also who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. David is just doing the right thing, and yet he's being persecuted. Jesus was persecuted, and he did nothing wrong. He became sin for us on the cross, and yet he himself was without sin, never committed a sin. And he said, the world hated me, and it's going to hate you too. And so we can expect persecution. Those who are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But if you don't want to be persecuted, you just don't say anything, don't do anything, don't be. But God has called us to say, to do, and to be. And so if we are godly, if we are behaving in a godly way, if we're, if we're speaking the truth in love, if we're doing what we're supposed to do, going out and sharing the love of Jesus and being a light and helping neighbors and just, it's going to irritate the heck out of people who don't know the Lord. And especially certain ones who have the conviction of the Holy Spirit strong in their lives. And it might even be an indication that they're close to salvation, friends. So stay at it. My dad tells a story of how he went to the Orange County re or the rescue mission. I'm not sure if it was Orange County, but it was one of the rescue missions. And he uh, was preaching, and there was one guy that was heckling him. 
just kept heckling him. Throughout the entire message, he can hardly think straight. And then in the end, he gave the gospel, and the first one to come up to receive Christ was that guy. That guy. And so, uh, verse 18 now. It says, So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. What? Saul sends messengers to go find David and kill him. They, they're looking for him. They run into Samuel and a group of prophets instead. And when they see Samuel and the prophets, they begin to join them and prophesy and prophesy with them. That's incredible. Verse 21. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also. Now, this was the most likely the school of the prophets that were under Samuel. So it was a group of people that were wanting to be like Samuel and um, draw close to the Lord and get prophetic words from him. Uh, David Gusick says this about them. It says, this was an unusual work of the Holy Spirit to come upon men who did not seek after God who did not long to be filled with the Spirit. God did this to protect David, and this was his way of disarming those who came to capture David. This was also the Holy Spirit's warning to these men and to Saul. It is as if the Spirit said, I don't want David captured. I am sending these men home empty-handed. Instead of seeking to kill David, you should seek to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit of God comes upon these men. Like you said here, they weren't even looking for it. I'm just, I'm always blown away at the sovereignty of God. And some people say, here's this formula and that formula, and if you just do this just right and say the right incantations or whatever, then the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You know? No, the Holy Spirit will come upon you when He wants to come upon you, whatever condition you're in. I just, I saw a, a testimony recently of a man who was living a complete homosexual lifestyle, and he uh, went into a coffee shop, and there were some people near him that were reading their Bibles and, and having a Bible study in the coffee shop, and then they reached over, and they invited him to come to church. And so he decided to go to church, and he walks into the church, and, and he's there just listening. And then they, they said, uh, you know, if you want to come forward, come forward. So he goes forward, and the boom, the baptism of the Holy Spirit just comes upon him as he's living a gay lifestyle. Now, what was the end result of that? He repented. That was the end result. He said, I'm no longer going to live this lifestyle. They asked him, well, do you still have an attraction to the same sex? Yes, he said. And the interviewer squirmed a little bit. 
It's the, it's the reality of it. But he's choosing to follow Jesus Christ instead of his fleshly inclination. Instead of giving himself over to his ungodly attraction, he says, I'm following you, Jesus. And that's what each and every one of us has to do. We resist the flesh, right? Whether you're attracted to the same sex, the opposite sex, or whatever, we're all in this together, man. We are fighting a fight against our animal instincts, against chemicals and and all kinds of perversions that have come into our society. And so we resist the devil, we resist the flesh, and we resist the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do this successfully with joy, without resentment, bitterness, and all of this other business that can happen, being like Lot's wife and, uh, you know, looking back with longing, oh, the Christian life is so miserable. If only I can be back at Sodom and Gomorrah. That's no way to live the Christian life. Man, we want to go forward with joy. Amen? There's joy in the Spirit. And so we can ask, how do you experience the Lord? Well, like I said, there's, there's no formula, but you can ask and you can wait on the Lord for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and baptize you in His Spirit. It's just a matter of thirsting, longing, panting, like David said. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after you. What was he saying? He's longing after the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes upon, I love my dad's story. He was going to take out the trash one day and the Holy Spirit came upon him and he began to worship God and praise him at the trash can. No formula there, friends. <laughs> Holy Spirit can come upon you wherever and begin to worship and praise Him. And so then in verse 22, it says, Then he also went to Ramah. This is Saul now went to Ramah. He's like, if these guys can't do it, I'm going to do it myself. He didn't get the message that God was saying, Look, man, I'm in control. I'm in authority. You send people, I'm going to fill them with my spirit to prophesy truth about who I am, to worship me, to adore me, to bow down to me, the king, not you, Saul. So Saul says, I'm going myself. Middle of verse 22, and he came to the great well that is at Seku. So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. <laughs> and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Maybe you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5, 
This similar thing happened to him when he was uh, just becoming king. He ran into some prophets and he began to prophesy with them. And I think that this scripture will give us a little window into what it looks like here because we might say, well, what does it mean they're, they're prophesying? What are they doing? 1 Samuel 10 verse 5 says, you will meet a group of prophets. This is Samuel speaking to Saul early on. Coming down from the high place with with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. You see, prophecy is a pretty broad term that speaks of hearing from God and speaking what God says. So you can uh, prophesy, as I read the scripture, it's the word of God, and then I expound it to you, and so that in the Bible would be classified as a form of prophecy. Hearing a a prophetic word of the future, like the uh, Apostle John had in the book of Revelation, and then prophesying, here's what's going to happen in the future. That's another category then of prophecy. The Bible speaks of prophesying with stringed instruments and song lyrics. And so here's an example of that, of these prophets are playing music and they're prophesying with their music as they speak forth the praises of God. And honestly, I think this would be spontaneous worship, giving God glory as he puts those words in and they just come right back up to the Lord. So these guys are having a worship session. And so as the messengers come up and they... There they are prophesying, giving glory to God and worship to him. They just join right in. They join right in. It's like the old afterglows, you know, or the time we just had a couple Wednesdays ago right in here where we started our group with prayer and it ended up lasting like a half hour or something. And it was a beautiful time and we had a tongue and we had an interpretation of a tongue and we had a vision and we had a, and it was just a beautiful time prophesying before the Lord, prophesying before God. And so here they are, and Saul just joins right in. Now he gets naked. What's this about? (laughs) Well, I'm told here in the commentary that this Hebrew word can mean to strip down totally or just partially. Most likely he was in his undergarments. And we think of the significance of him being in his undergarments taking off his kingly robes and his majesty and and being, you know, humbled before the Lord and saying, God, you're the king. And he's convicted of his sin. And this is what the presence of God does to us, guys. This is what the presence of God does. First of all, we see this uh, protection, right? The The presence of God, he's protecting David as he, his presence comes upon Saul and these messengers, he's filling them with his, or, or he's, he's coming upon them, baptizing them in his Holy Spirit, and that then will protect David. They're no longer going to want to seek to kill him because they're in the presence of God. He's warning Saul at the same time. And when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are warned, don't keep going in your sin. And in fact, we don't even want to as we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because when you're in God's presence, you're just just submerged in His love and in His light. And the last thing that we would think of in that moment 
Now, 30 seconds later, we might. But in that moment, the last thing as you're in the presence of God is going to be going out and sinning against him. And so it's, it's a warning even as the, the potency of, of that experience wanes. You go, oh man, I know God and I know that he is light and in him is no darkness at all. I better stay away from darkness because I want to stay in the light. The presence of the Holy Spirit is showing Saul the alternative to his current behavior and attitude. Man, when you get a taste of the light, you want nothing to do with the darkness, friends. Saul, stop it. Even if you lose your kingship and you're stripped down and you're naked in the street, if you've got me, that's all you need. And it is heavenly. Why don't you just give up the kingship? Why don't you let go of whatever it is you're holding on to because you think you need that more than God's presence? There's nothing better than the presence of God in your life. It's a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful thing. It's a wonderful hymn. Praise the Lord. And then he's humbling Saul because the presence of God is always humbling to us. As he takes off his kingly attire and lay bare and exposed before the Lord, God is a consuming fire. And when we experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, John the Baptist he spoke of Jesus and he said, I baptize you with water, but he who's coming after me will, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, with fire. And so there's a purging, there's a purifying as we're in God's presence and we're in his light. And again, we want nothing to do with the works of darkness if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'd encourage you. And once again, it's really easy as far as just asking, wanting, being thirsty for the presence of God and saying, God, I just, I want an encounter with you. Pastor James was talking about something that's foreign to me. I, I don't get it. I love you. I've received you as my Savior and my Lord I acknowledge the gospel, the cross, but I'm hearing that I can have an encounter with you and experience your presence, and so I want to go after that. I'm not going to be satisfied with anything less than all that I can have of you. Everyone that I've met that go after the Lord in this way, he shows up, including myself. One guy just the Lord just prompted his heart. He's like, Lord, I just want an encounter with you. And God's like, we got to ask. And he went to bed that night, and he just waited on the Lord for, I don't remember how long for this particular guy. And then the Lord just showed up, and he said just a warmth just came upon him, an assurance of God's love. And he was just being baptized in the love of God, in the love of God. And the Holy Spirit is love. We need not fear love. And so... We just ask. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, 
but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then the last exhortation comes from Ephesians 4.23. It says, put off. So we think of Saul taking off his robes and things. It says, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is what it means to be born again. To put off the old man, no longer living for the flesh and following the cravings of the flesh. Like that man in the coffee shop who came and was touched by God and said, despite my continued cravings, I choose to put off the old man, and I put on the new man. I'm going to be led now by the Spirit of God, no longer led by the flesh. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.